Welcome to the Conscious Living Podcast, conversations to educate, empower, and enlighten our world. An uplifting and inspiring series of conversations and talks with your host, Jackie Woodside. We are educating minds, empowering lives, and enlightening souls to create a world where love prevails. In this engaging podcast, we deliver exciting, positive, transformative talks and teachings designed to elevate your life. Now, let's join our host, Jackie Woodside, for this week's session. Hi, everybody. Jackie Woodside here again for another episode of the Conscious Living Podcast, where we are here to educate, empower, and enlighten our world about all things, about how we live, how we work, how we relate, uh, and, and yes, how we engage with and spend our money, which is why I've brought my colleague and friend, Jonathan DeVoe, to the podcast today. You know, I've interviewed a lot of people over the years about money. You all know I wrote a book called Money Vibe, and I love this concept of, of our consciousness about money and how our consciousness about money impacts our experience of flow and having and sufficiency or scarcity wealth uh, or poverty, how, how our consciousness is a creative element and in all areas of our lives. And in all the people that I've interviewed, Jonathan has, I think, one of the most grounded and practical approaches to man managing money because he's a financial planner and has a financial planning component to his business, but also mastering the inner domain of money. And he does that through his education and coaching component to his business. So a well-rounded, well-grounded man in this domain of mindful money. So Jonathan, thank you for being on the podcast with me today. Do you mind taking a few minutes to say a little bit more about yourself and your background and what brings you to this topic of mindful money? Sure. I mean, it's it's really sort of two different veins of thought. And by the way, thank you for having me on the podcast, Jackie. I appreciate being here. Um, two different veins sort of come together uh, to, to create this thing called mindful money. And uh, just going way back, mm -hmm. um, I was raised with very little. And so I wanted. And, and what I learned about in wanting is when I went to college, I was like, all right, I'm studying finance because I'm going to have one day. And uh, I got really, really bored. So the first <laughs> semester, maybe the first year, I shifted out of finance and I went, okay, this is not the thing. What, what do I want to study? And I ended up in a philosophy and religious studies program, oh. and I ended up pursuing a graduate degree at the Graduate Theological Union, um, and I was going to become a Lutheran minister, uh, but uh, turns out that they didn't have the funding, so they promised me a scholarship. I moved my entire life out to California, and I got there, and I went to the Lutheran school, and they said, uh, they said, you know, welcome. We're really sorry to let you know that we don't have the scholarship, but there are nine other schools as part of this theological union. Go talk to them. See if you can find somebody that has some money that can, that can sort of give you the money <laughs> oh for the scholarship. <laughs> the, the Buddhist school did. And so I studied comparative religion from a Buddhist perspective, um, just fell in love with Buddhism. Sort of, I wouldn't say... Um, I wouldn't say I transitioned to being a Buddhist. Right? I think I still have these Christian roots. I still have this Lutheran background. Um, and now I have sort of a Buddhist overlay and the mindfulness uh, piece in, in three, four years plus of, of formal study, plus like 20 years of practice and study on top of that, right? Oh. Um, and it wasn't until, so that's, you know, grad school 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, but it wasn't until about five years ago and, uh, you know, spent... After I after I, the master's program in Buddhist studies, I start in the um, brokerage world, 
where they would hire anybody who could fog a mirror to sell products, right? So I learned <laughs> how to sell products and that's what I did for a few years. Uh, five years, seven different Wall Street firms in five-year period, you know, mergers, acquisitions. I moved three times, lots of stuff going on. But did you move back to the East Coast to New York? Mm, no, it was all here, all, all Bay all Area, San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, Morgan Stanley, Payne Weber, UBS, they, they all existed here. Okay. Um, and I said, you know what? I, I don't like any of these places. None of these places feel good to me in terms of what I'm doing for clients. So I started my own firm in 2001. So that's 22 years ago. And it was just a financial planning firm. Simple. Yeah. We did investments. We did planning. We worked with families, et cetera. And it wasn't really until the year, two years after I published the book, Mindful Money, that I brought the firm to sort of, I renamed the firm Mindful Money. So the book's title is Mindful Money. But I always thought, mindfulness is kind of squishy. It's kind of too soft for finance. No one, everyone's going to laugh at me if I name the firm Mindful Money. Um, no one will take me seriously, but I really, really, really believed. And I started quizzing some of my clients if they sort of said, Hey, what do you think about this? And they all said, yeah, no, I think you should go all in. Um, you should, you should express this belief. And the thing I believe, and this translates into financial services, it translates into coaching, it translates into education the thing I believe is there are things that we can get better at, and there are things that we can train at and improve upon. There are beliefs that we can hold that are real, and there's all this other illusory crap. And in the financial services world, there is an enormous volume of illusory crap. We live in a timing and selection culture. We live in a market timing We have people trying to guess what's going to happen next. No one has any idea what's going to happen next. And, and, and starting with that belief and some mindfulness about what that means for our future, what that means about the decisions we should be focused on, not, not the other things that we'd like to have, but the things that we can actually affect. What are those things? Let's focus on those things. That's really what mindful money is all about. We, we focus on belief, we focus on planning, and we focus on just following the plan. All the stuff about prediction and forecasting and prognostication, that's bunk. No one can do it well. All the research agrees with us. So let's do it the right way. And so that's 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 what became Mindful Money, both in terms of client services directly, education, and then coaching. That's mind-blowing. So you're saying that the financial models that a lot of the projections are made on, you don't have any value belief in them. None whatsoever. I mean, so if you let's let's think about just the last few years um, okay. going in uh, and, and one of these is really unique. Right. So going into, say, the year 2020, which is um, pre pandemic, no one knew that a pandemic was going to happen. Like no one, there was a book and Bill Gates is, you know, did a Ted talk and right. But no one said, this is going to happen. It's going to happen now. This is right. And then, and then once it happened, everyone made predictions about the end of the world. Everyone said, you know, market's going to fall apart. Economy is going to fall apart. Guess what? No, it didn't. Markets were down for three months, back to new highs within six months, you know, back to supreme new highs six months after that. Um, it, it's crazy. And going into 2022, Everyone was thinking the opposite. This thing is going to keep going forever. This is fantastic. Oh my God. We're going to have this a recession happened. in 2023. I was like, why is everybody saying that? Say, say it again. I keep hearing in, you know, in the news and, and whatnot right now. So as we're recording this, it's January 3rd, 2023, just for yep. context for our listeners. And I keep hearing 2023, we're going to have a recession in, in 2023. And I'm like, 
what are people basing that on? Why are people saying that? And and I and I think that's a question that a lot of people are asking. And I think there's a better question. And I think the question is, why do we care so much? The the idea of we have a boom, then we have a bust, then we have a boom, then we have a bust, and they're not predictable. We don't know when they're going to come. We don't know how long they're going to last. We don't know how bad they're going to get. We don't know how good it's going to get. We don't know how long the good is going to last. We don't. We can't know. We don't know. We have to stop forecasting, and we have to make decisions for our money based on the the fact that we can't know. So what are the what are the things that we can do? You know, and it starts with being very conscious, right? Being very aware of. Um, if I plan, if I work hard, if I believe in myself, and we, we, you know, just before we started, we talked a little bit about, um, I think that the only real advantage I got growing up was, the, was belief. I think that my parents instilled in me the belief that if I did the work, if I, you know, I'm smart enough, I'm good enough, I can think it through, I can find the path, I can make it happen, I can make it happen for me, I can make it happen for my family, I can make it happen in a community, I can, my, my parents gave me the belief that I can have an effect, that I have the control, that I have the power, that I can do it. They empowered me, even though we didn't have the resources, you know, our, my friends had so much more stuff than I did, our neighbors were all doing better than we did, right? So, so even though they didn't have it, they instilled within me the belief that I could have it. Mm. Um, and that is a unique, that is a unique thing that I received, but I think that that's something that people don't get today. I think one of the importance, one of the reasons your podcast is so important is it tells people, Hey, let's make this decision. Let's decide that we're going to do it. And then we can do it. Right. That's, I mean, that is the definition of conscious living, knowing that you are at cause for how you experience life, including money. I, I, I love that definition of mindful money and uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear you say a little bit more about this correlation between belief and experience, because you know that's in my Money Vibe book and in my Money Vibe Summit. These these are concepts that are very central to my teaching. Uh, so I'd, I'd just love to hear you say that you grew up relatively poor, uh, but your parents instilled in you a belief that you can create what you want to create, and that that belief carried you forward in a way that perhaps if you grew up poor without that belief, you wouldn't have had the same experience. So I would just like to hear it in your words, Jonathan, like, and, and with your clients, your financial services clients, your coaching clients, uh, how you see this correlation between what we believe about money or life and the experience that we have. Hmm. I don't know if I've ever heard the question phrased in, in that specific way, but it's it, it's almost as if, the belief becomes your reality. No, I'd say that that is exactly what happens. Your belief becomes your reality, right? Um, and I and I know lots and lots and lots of people. And th this is, it's interesting because it's, I'll have a client who's a second generation wealth client. Um, first generation, you know, built something amazing, you know, built a company, built a community, built something, uh, and, then, and then maybe sold that company and then imbued the next generations with wealth. The next generations think something different about wealth. They don't believe in their, it was all, all provided for them. They don't know how to build it themselves. And so they don't, they find they become very protective of it. We can't spend it. We can't invest it. We can't, because we don't know how to rebuild it. We don't know how to remake it. This was a, this is a one-time event. It's never going to happen again. And, and so they come across this, their beliefs are such that they manage to run through the money. They don't become stewards of the money. They they become users of the money. They consume the money. Whereas I've got other people who 
have no wealth, have no background in it, like me. And they go, okay, I have to build this myself. And then what do I have to do to do that? And I read stuff and I watch YouTube videos and I, you know, I consume information that'll help me do those kinds of things. But I, it starts with the belief that I can do it. And if I believe I can do it, who is it? Henry Ford, whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. 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 Yeah. That, right. That whole, that whole old saw. Yeah. Um, I, I think that holds true. Uh, yeah. And then the thing that really scares me about our collective future right now is I think that we have enough people who are, who are telling us that we can't do it ourselves, that we should rely on, you know, somebody else in local state, federal government to do it for us. To do what exactly? I don't understand. To, to provide, to, to, to provide. show us the path to, to, you know, that we've lost the thing that I was raised with um, that was, you can do this. This is, you know, and maybe culture has shifted. Maybe it is more difficult. You know, we think about all the conversations around um, the uh, college loan world and how expensive college is today relative to when I went, you know, I worked my way through college. Kids can't do that today, right? That's not even possible today. Right, right. Um, I I built up the down payment for my first house. That's in the Bay Area. This was 25 years ago. Can you do that today? That's much harder to do. The down payment is now $400,000 for that house in, in, in Berkeley, California, right? That's kind of ridiculous. Um, so it may be harder, but because it's harder, we get so many message about, it's so hard, you need help. It's so hard, you can't do it. It's so hard, you can't do it. And we take away that ability, the belief. And by taking away the belief that you can overcome, that you can do it, then people maybe try less hard. They 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 don't believe that they can do it. So, you know, why why put that extra effort in? That's the thing that scares me. And I I bring that home to my own, my own life. My kids have been given a lot. Like they're they go to great schools. Um, you know, I make them both work. They both have jobs, right? And none of their peers have jobs. Um, they both go to work uh, almost every weekend. And that's, you know, I, they've been done. They've been doing that since they were 12. They both have lots of chores around the house. And they both say, none of my friends have these chores. And I don't believe that at all. But but they've been given a, a great foundation. And I worry that by giving them the great foundation, they won't they won't have as developed as much as strongly the ability to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a trade-off as a parent, you know, raised with nothing. I want to give them everything, but if I give them everything, I take away from them the belief that they can do it themselves. And that's a trade-off I think everyone faces. Yeah, no, completely understood. So I, I'm just a little curious about this. Do you extend that then to like social programs where if you know, I, I hear some political views that if you give people a, a, a handout that they won't want to do for themselves, is that a little of what you're saying? Mm, no. So I've worked with uh, um, multiple like homeless service organizations in, in Berkeley for 25 years. And, and there are, especially in Berkeley, there are many, 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 many folks that are dual diagnosed. That, yes. They can't, right? They, they, they can't. Uh, um, and maybe they have to get over a hump before they can. And so yeah. there's definitely reasons to have programs to help people yeah. get over that hump. But part of that hump is belief. Part of that hump is right. instilling in them the belief that they can do it themselves. And I don't, I don't want to add fuel to the disbelief. I want to 
you know, in the process of supporting and providing, you know, social organizations and, and, and social support, I want to also provide education and support around you. We will transition this to you and then you will be fine and you will be able to do this. Right. I, I really appreciate hearing you say that because as you can well imagine, I'm a strong supporter of uh, giving people a, a hand up, uh, not a handout. Um, yeah. And that there's compassion in that. And I love the piece about education. And I think about prisons and prison reform uh, that, you know, without education and treatment uh, in prisons, of course, you're going to have high recidivism rates. And without post prison programming, there, you know, I've worked in prisons for a few years as a social worker. Um, and this is all, you know, I, I love thinking about this, Jonathan, because there's conscious living on the micro level, meaning how you and I, choose to craft and create our lives, how empowered we feel to be a conscious creator of our own lives. But then there's conscious living on the macro level. Social, yeah. Yeah, on the social or the or, or the macro, like the social level. Who do we want to be as a society uh, in terms of, of how we grow, how we, how conscious we are? Um, not everyone has the same opportunities. I work with a lot of people who are profoundly deaf and use American Sign Language. I'm married to someone who's deaf. Um, it's a real different life when you know you have have that to, to deal with. It's a different life when you've been born in poverty or mm -hmm. uh, into situations where there's a lot of crime or violence. It impacts you. For sure. You want to be as a society. Well, I want to go back to what you were saying about the forecasting doesn't work, the models don't work. What we have, what we have to work with is what we know. So how do you move with people in your, your education programs, your coaching and your financial services around mindful money? Like how do you embrace working with what we do know? So yeah, just say a little bit more about that because I think you know, I, I think your your approach is unique, and I think our listeners will be very interested in it. And but I think in, as a culture, we do use the models. You know, we uh, we go with the index funds, and we you know kind of do with the projections. And now everybody is saying we're going to have a recession, so we need to cut down. You know, but so how, what do you do that's different, Jonathan? So, so I think that I think that um, I would agree with a part of what you just said, and that's you know use the index funds, right? But there, there's a, there's a reason that I would suggest using the index funds, and that's that's because, and when I talk about the research, the academics tell us that the models don't work. The the models that don't work aren't index funds. The models are, you know, the idea that there's this bell that's rung, and that bell tells us when the recession's coming or when the recession's over, or <laughs> right. when growth starts or when growth ends. No, there is no indicator, right? There's nothing that gives us insight about the future. There is, there are no facts about the future. At, at any one time, there are thousands of people guessing about what's ha what happens next. And inevitably, when you have thousands of people making get tens of thousands, probably making guesses about what happens next, there's going to be some people that are really successful. Some people are going to get it right. Just law of larger numbers, you're going to have some people that get the next guess correct. What the research tells us is those people that are making guesses are going to be right for a while, and then they're going to be spectacularly wrong. And then they're going to be right a while more, and then they're going to be spectacularly wrong again. Um, and we don't know, looking forward, which ones of the guessers are going to be right and which ones are going to be wrong. That's why the index fund is, gets to be become so powerful because it's not, 
you're not deciding what's going to be better and what's going to be worse. You're saying, I'm going to own it all. I'm going to own growth. I'm going to own value. I'm going to own small companies and big companies. I'm going to own companies in the emerging world and, and, and the developed world outside the US and the US. I'm going to own it all. And I'm going to own it all in some kind of a, you know, index-based way, you know, market cap way or, you know, value tilt way, or there's lots of ways to own these kinds of things, but I'm not going to guess, is Apple going to win or is Samsung going to win? I'm going to own both Apple and Samsung. So that, so that there's, there's three very, very, very important steps to the things we can control, right? Um, and this isn't, this first one isn't a space I work in as much. I'm working more and more in this space, but it's the, it's the space of the earning. So the, we all have to create the income that will enable the saving. And then we have to save and invest in a particular way, right? But the, we have to create the income. And that is a struggle for many, many, many folks. Um, the responsibility, the, 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 once you see that this is on me, then you can move forward. But if you spend a lot of time denying that this is something that I am responsible for, and I shouldn't be, there should be a better way, you know, we should, then it's it's much more complex. It's harder on you. Like we talked about the micro versus the macro. We can make we can make macro changes to make it easier for folks. And I'm all for that. But at the end of the day, at the micro level, we have to sort of take take the responsibility. We've got to do it. We have to engage and make it happen ourselves. So we all have to earn. Yeah. And maximize earning, right? Not yeah, maximize earning. So I, I think a lot about having a, you know, being growth oriented. Uh, and I think that's one of the other pitfalls that a lot, I see a lot of people, particularly career people who, ha, you know, have a career. Um, and again, I'm married to one, so I'm not anti-career people of, of being in a profession. I, I think it's a lovely way to, to live, just not for me. <laughs> but uh, I think a lot of people who get kind of stuck in a career track. And, you know, I earn this much. And then if I get my performance raise or if I get the right. cost of living raise, uh, you know, then I'll earn this much. I, I just want to encourage people, as you're saying, like, you know, you are responsible for what you earn. Your company, your boss, your manager is not responsible. But there, I mean, there's a piece in that. I mean, so I think you and I are going to agree when I suggest we should probably all develop a side hustle and turn that into something, right? I, I think that that's an important thing. I don't think everyone's going to do that. But even if it's not a side hustle, even if you are an employee of a company, you need to advocate for your raise. You need to say, okay, what do I need to get to get the raise? Oh, I need to learn this skill and this skill and this skill. I need to go learn the skills, bring it back. And okay, now I get the raise, right? No, I don't. Why not? And if they're, if they're going to keep pushing back on that, you need to find a different employer that recognizes the value, right? That's that's uh, that's the way you can own your income, even if you're an employee, right? I think that's really important. Once you Once you understand that your income is your responsibility, then you have to you have to remember you your spending is also your responsibility. Right. You, you have oh, to, right, you have I hate to, that part. I know. Oh. <laughs> the whole idea of pay yourself first is a, it's a trite phrase. Every single person uses it in the financial services world, but it's so, so important. You have to put some money aside. And then once that's the second step, once you have that money put aside, then how do you invest it? And I think this is the thing that makes me the most different. Um is a lot of people talk about we should have a balanced portfolio, uh, we should have you know you know some money in fixed income, some money in equities, and 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 I see the reasoning behind it, I get it, but the reality is, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna play the business person here for a second. Yeah, no, I'd love to hear it. If I'm a business person, 
And, uh, and if, if we can just agree that um, as an investor, you can be a lender, you can own bonds. That's a, that's a lending capacity. You know, I get a fixed income or I can be an owner where I own equity and I get the benefits of owning a company, right? Okay, if, you, if those are the two primary choices and they're really, it's those two or cash. Not, there isn't another way to invest. If there is another way, someone by all means tell me. It's cash, fixed income, or equity. And the equity can be in real estate. The fixed income could be for real estate. You know, the cash could be Bitcoin, whatever you want to call cash, right? So there's, but it's cash, fixed income, equity. Those are only three choices. If as a business person, I see an opportunity and I look at that opportunity and say, you know what? If I build this plant or if I hire these people or if I buy this equipment, I can actually turn that into a pretty good return for myself as the business person and for my partners. And then I go, okay, that's I can do that. I can turn that into a return. If I have to borrow the money to do it, like so I'm going to go to the market, I'm going to, I'm going to float a bond, I'm going to go to a bank and, and, and borrow money to do it. Part of that calculus, part of that analysis is if the cost of the money, the cost of the loan is higher than the, than the benefit I perceive is possible from the equity, I will not borrow the money. I will not borrow the money. I will not float the bond. This is why equity always has a higher return function. Always. Always. Short term, Anybody's guess. There's more volatility. You know, it's 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 zig and it's zag, and it can be painful to own um, an index fund or any kind of managed fund or whatever because equities go down more. Fixed income is fixed, mm. but the long-term benefits accrue not to lenders, not to cash. The long-term benefits of our economic system, whether that be a a French economic system or a U.S. economic system or an Argentinian economic system, the long-term benefits accrue to owners, not lenders. So, so when, when you're think thinking about this, yeah. when you're thinking about it, you should be owning equity. You should be investing in companies, whether it's your own company or shares of publicly traded companies. So or equity meaning stocks, is that what you? Equity, equity could be, uh, could be a real estate equity. Real, real owning estate, real estate, be, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's You want to be the one that takes the risk with the capital because the person that takes a risk with the capital receives the return on that capital, right? And that's the, I think that's the fundamental difference is I'm going to say you want enough cash to provide ballast. You want enough, you know, if you want to, if, if you're planning out and you have a, a, a child going to college in five years, you want to make sure you've got money to cover that, that specific expense that's going to occur five years from now, right? You have to save for that. I and mean, that has to be on the side that can't be a risk. Every other penny you have should be invested in something that can accrue the highest possible long-term returns, which is equity, it's ownership, whether it's real estate or stocks or your private company or your own business or whatever, it's 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 always going to be equity. So do you consider putting money into your own business a financial investment? Because I don't, I mean, I'm a business owner and I don't think of it that way. So I, I, would, I would say I don't any longer, but I absolutely did early on. And I would reinvest, and I have a, I've got a close friend of mine, um, and I'd say he still considers it this way, who who runs a retail game store. Um, and he thinks about, you know, I could distribute this money to myself and my partners, or I could reinvest in, you know, more uh, um, inventory, and more inventory leads to greater returns, right? So it's, 
it is a decision you can make as a business owner. And I would recommend early on yeah. people invest in early themselves, on, invest I guess in their businesses. Perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, you and I've been in business a long time and I, I don't, I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of, or what I'm spending the money on, I guess. Like, like, I don't know. Publishing is a really good example. You and I are both thought leaders. We're both authors. Yeah. We both publish books, you right. know, uh, I, you know, I call my books, my $15 credit card, or I'm sorry, business card, my $15 business card. Right. right. Um, it's something that will get me in the door. And yes, all of my books have led to contracts. All of my books have led to, you know, greater income, but the book itself <laughs> doesn't necessarily, you know, it costs money to produce a book and an enormous amount of time to produce yeah. a book. So yeah, I guess I, if I've been thinking, I need to write another book this year. Uh, and would like to write another book this year. Uh, and thinking, of, I haven't really thought about that as an investment in my business. And maybe that would help me think about what kind of a topic I, I want to do it on. Uh, you know, where do I want my next series of of contracts to be uh, based on what what next book I write? And and I think that there's a difference. You know, and I'm and I'm I'm new at the space that you're in. Like I'm the, the whole idea of being an expert in a space and talking about that. And getting the contracts to do it. I haven't done any of that. Like I've spent my entire career working one-on-one -on -one with people. So for me, an investment would be in um, a client event or, or uh, 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 some, some form of marketing or something that's, you know, and I have historically sent birthday presents and those kinds of things. Like, cause I, 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 I have a few clients. I love my clients. They become my best friends. They are my social network. They are, you know, so, so, it's like how do we celebrate each other? And I just I try to I try to lead with that almost with everything that I do. So that but that's an investment in the business at the same time. Sure. Um, if it's a retail store, there's an investment in inventory. If you're a if you're a painting contractor, it's an investment in your people or your truck or your paintbrushes or whatever. So you have to have that investment. And early on, you that's probably your best investment is yourself, right? It's it's putting that money back. But there's a point, and this is every business has to make this transition. There's a point where you have to um, draw money out and build wealth, not in your business, right? You need to build wealth on the outside. And that's that almost is always owning equities or owning real estate or owning you know, a, a sliver of other people's private enterprises. So you're saying that's the best way to build wealth rather than forecasting you know, you're going to go with uh, Apple over Samsung, or you're going to go with Amazon over Google. Uh, that kind of forecasting is not going to build the kind of wealth that people want, at least not consistently. And right. what, do you, what do you think about some of the newer trends, like around crypto and and? There's no such thing as newer trends. That those are these are all, right? The, the, the okay. Let me. Oh, I'm going to sound NFT, stupid saying that. Was that was the other one. Crypto and NFTs, where you know people apparently are making just gobs and gobs of money in short periods of time. Uh, at least they were until crypto seemed to have crashed over the last couple right. of months. Right. And any, any new thing, and literally any new thing, because you got to remember there was a time when the internet was new, right? And, and yeah. when the internet was new, dot-com era, late 90s or mid to late 90s, you know, you would make 90, 100% a year and that'd be normal with some of these kind of companies, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then 2000 comes and then all those companies go under and none of them produce anything anymore. They're all gone. Um, 2006, 7, 8, 
2005, six, seven, it's all about real estate. And we're flipping, you know, right. condos in Boca Raton, Boca Raton, Florida, and, and, and yes. people have five and six of them and it's, and people are making money hand over fist. And then, and then 2008, you know, nine happens and all those people lose all their money and that affects the global economy. Right. So there's, there is this idea of, and this is why I don't get enamored of new things at all ever, because yes, there will be crypto will have some kind of positive effect eventually, but it, in order for it to be, have a positive effect, eventually it has to be adopted. And so when it's, when it gets adopted, and this is where I invest in it, it's when JP Morgan and PayPal and B of A and Wells Fargo adopt it and start using it. And it becomes something that affects the companies that I invest in's bottom line. I don't have to invest in Bitcoin or crypto to make money. I invest in something that I know is going to be productive, that I trust and believe, and they're going to test that for me. Mm-hmm. And some of the banks are going to be engaged. Some of them aren't going to be engaged. And I believe that in, in, in owning the index and owning everything, I will benefit from whatever the new thing is without investing too heavily and hurting myself in that new thing. So does that kind of make some sense? Yeah. And, and again, there's a mindful el- element to that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, a lot of people chase the shiny new thing. That's right. Uh, some of them win, some of them lose. Right. And, and the academics study this. And what they've said is, given all the people chasing all the shiny things, the vast majority are not winning long term. You know, there's going to be a few of them that win every time, but they don't repeat. You can't repeat. It's not a, it's not a re- repeatable process. Whereas broadly diversified portfolios of the great companies of the US and the world is a repeatable process. Mm-hmm. You're never going to get a 90% return. Well, if you do, then, you know, you know, good on you, but it's not, it's not a likely occurrence, right. but you'll also never have a 90% collapse. You'll never experience mm-hmm. the the loss of five buildings because you overinvested in, you know, real estate or, or .com or crypto. You know, I, I appreciate what you said a few minutes ago, where you talked about being a steward of your money rather than right. of money, rather than a consumer of money. Uh, that's a really important distinction. I'd like to teach that to my 17-year-old son. Um, you and me both. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and I, you know, I, I think about that. One of the statistics that has long fascinated me, I'd be curious what you think of this, is that 70% of lottery winners end up flat broke or back in the same financial condition that they began. Um, and I think about the way that you've referenced this being a steward of money versus a consumer of money. And when I put it in that frame, I think most people are consumers of money. They, they yep. earn to spend rather yep. than earn to grow, earn to invest. Uh, but yep. what are your thoughts about that? The That statistic of 70% of lottery winners ending up back in their same economic condition. It, I mean, it seems um, if you think about the idea of being prepared to, you know, be in the, in the gold medal race or being prepared to, if, if you, if you just give someone the ability to spend money on anything that they've ever dreamed and they haven't prepared for that ability, then yeah, it's going to, it's going to ruin them. And I think that the, the corollaries to that statistic are things like relationships and drug addiction happens. Um, you know, people commit suicide. It, it, sudden wealth syndrome, sudden wealth becomes very, very, very damaging because they don't have people that don't have money, don't know how to deal with a lot of money when they get it. And it's too exciting. And everyone comes out of the woodwork to attack you and get stuff from you. And it just becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy that it's just not going to work out. So one of the mindfulness ideas is, 
is we're talking about education and preparing yourself first, understanding that there are limits to our knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are limits to what we should expect. There are limits and, and, uh, and just bringing Buddhism full, full bore into this, like the, the, the fundamentals are this. We all age. We all sicken. We all die. We're all separated from the things that we love. Uh, and the cycle continues, right? That's the karmic cycle. And so, and I, I was blissfully ignorant of that for 49 years. And then my brother died and I, and I got to experience firsthand what impermanence really means. Um, and it's changed me. Like it's changed how I engage the world. It's, it's deepened this lesson. Like when I talk about planning, you know, the thing that comes before planning, you know, planning is always, I got these resources and I got these spending needs. There's something that comes before resources and spending needs. And that's what's important. What mm-hmm. matters to me? What is important? What, how do I want to be remembered? What, what are the things that are worth pursuing? And when you identify what's worth pursuing, there's a second part that's just immediately implied. You can let go of all kinds of other stuff. And if if you say that, hey, to me, travel is the most important thing, I can give up a nice car. I can give up the house in the great neighborhood. I can give up because travel is the most important thing to me. And you can see behind me, I I put books on my list. That's that's something that's really important to me. And I haven't read them all. I've read lots of them. Um and I, you know, there's a whole nother thing on the other side here of the room that's just the same size. And if you look up here, there's more books here. And there's another one in the back room. I buy books. If I, you know, uh, if I have a little bit of money left over, I pay rent. But the first thing I do is I buy books. <laughs> uh, um, and that's my thing, right? That's that's my thing. Um, and other people like travel. Other people like fast cars. I don't, you know, care about fast cars. I don't care about this other stuff. But I'm gonna I'm gonna continue buying books. My Amazon. Uh, queue is long. Right. Uh, will always be long because I love that stuff. I once told my spouse that we had to either um, start building in some bookshelves or we had to have an addition on the house for all of my books. <laughs> my, my wife says, and my, my mom says the same thing actually about my about my dad. Um, my wife says, you've got to go first because uh, I'm not dealing with all your books. I'm not dealing with all those books. Yeah. <laughs> or no, I got to go first because she's not dealing with all the books. She's right, not right, dealing right. with all the books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I totally get it. So yeah, I, I love that's another episode of or another approach to mindful money is spending your money correlated with your values. Authenticity. And, yep. Be your yeah. be your authentic best self. Yeah. We think a lot about that in our family. Uh, one of the reasons I'm vegetarian is that I don't want to financially support an industry that practices cruelty toward animals. And the, uh, most of meat production is really, really cruel. So that's just one of my values. So I don't spend money that way. Right. Um, being, being mindful of where your money goes, uh, I think has a lot to do with being satisfied with what you have. Yeah. It- they, they talk about putting your, you know, putting your ladder on the right wall, right? You want to, we can all climb towards success and wealth and fast cars and, you know. Uh, right. That's what we're spoon fed. Yeah, exactly. And if, and if we just pursue that and don't think about what's important to us, then we end up unhappy and depressed. And why am I, why, where's my meaning? Where, yeah, you start with the meaning, start with what's important, start with relationships, start with your health, start with things. And I've, you know, I, I've learned the lesson the hard way. I, I, I was almost 300 pounds at one point and I had to get my health back together. And, and so that this is really hard to do if you don't pay. And I, this is, 
that's after seven years of the Wall Street firms. Like I, I lost, I lost my path and I had to get my path back. Right. Wow. Talk about being mindful. Right. Well, no, it was, it was the lack of mindfulness for a long time. Well, no, to get, by, to get back on that path. And I tell you what, what got me there was I, I saw my son was two and I had a baby on the way. And I was like, if I'm, and this, this thought of my uncle who was healthy my entire life and he's still healthy, still the healthiest of all the, that generation of my, of my, my parents, friends and family. Um, he would play soccer with us when I was in high school and I, I couldn't play soccer with my three-year-old because, you know, I weighed 300 pounds. So it's like, it's come on. Um, um, and I had to realize that if I'm going to be in this kid's life and I'm going to be important, I'm going to coach soccer and I'm going to be in, engaged and and be there and, and, you know, cheer and be on the sidelines and be the, be the cheerleader for his life. I got to, I got to clean this up. So did you lose like a hundred pounds? Um, yeah, 80. I lost 80, 80 pounds. pounds. Wow. And how did you do it? This, this is a little bit more embarrassing, but you know, P90X, have you seen this? Oh yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, yeah, I know it well. Yeah. I, I started with P90X and I just hit play just like they say to do. And I did as much as I could before I passed out. And then the next day I did hit play again. And I did as much as I could until I passed out. And, And I did that for 90 days and probably lost 30 pounds. My first go round. Wow. Um, And I did it again. And then I sort of became a, you know, a beach body. That's the, that's the company that that does P90X. I became a, you know, uh, uh, a fan, I guess I ordered everything they did and I just kept doing new things. I did insanity. I did, I did all these things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know. I know it well. I I had the beach body program for a while. I never had P90X, but that's fantastic. Is that still a thing? Are people still doing P90X? I believe it is. There's been, there's, I mean, Beachbody has like 75 different programs now with different, different coaches that different different kinds of things. And great program. I've actually recommended it to coaching clients of mine. Totally. And it's all streaming. Neither of us have affiliate relationships with Beachbody. No, I I did for a while, but I I never did anything with it. And I was like, you know, because I believed in it, like it worked for me. It was important. Yeah. Um, But it was also, it wasn't just working out. It was also, you know, they said, they give you a book and the book said, eat this stuff and don't eat this stuff, right? Yeah. Measure this and weigh this and figure And you just, I just follow the, pro- I'm just not a it, genius. Yeah. I just follow the program, right? Good for you. Wow. And again, that's being mindful. Yes. You know, plug in, be mindful, do the yep. work. Right. You know, it brings me back to, and then we probably should wrap up, but it brings me back to what you said about being responsible for your earning and being responsible for your uh, spending you know, what you're telling in that story, and thank you for sharing that with us, is you were willing to be responsible for what kind of a father you were going to be and what condition your body was going to be in so that you could be the kind of father that you wanted to be out playing soccer with your three-year-old rather than rolling yourself off the couch. You know, it's, uh, uh, so I really appreciate that, that everything that you've said, Jonathan, really comes back to your commitment to living a mindful approach to life and the the Buddhist influence, uh, in your earlier years definitely shows through here. I, I had a, it's, this is, this is, uh, um, a bit of a, a corollary here. I had a coach and the coach sort of ascribed points to doing, you know, here's the behaviors you need to do. You need to reach out to a plus clients. You need to reach out, reach out to a plus prospects. You need to, there was a time when I first, first started with this coach where the only points I ever got were the points for working out and sleeping eight hours, but there were points for working out and sleeping eight hours. And I would report back to him, you know, accountability meeting, 
I worked out six days this week. I slept well five days this week, right? And so I got points for that. And, and that was part of the tally. That gamifying health and building the habit of health, I think, is exactly the same set of behaviors and things that you need, or or I guess it's sort of the emotional content, dealing with the difficulty of, of working out hard and sweating hard and having painful and sore muscles and getting up the next day and doing it again is the same exact set of things you need to work on, that emotional response to that yeah. as saving and spending less. Yeah. And it's it's all it's practice. It's self-management. It's self-management, self-regulation. Yep. Yep. You know, that's I teach a productivity course and I say there is no such thing as time management. Right. All I teach is self-management, self-regulation, self-mastery. Yep. And yep. it's self-mastery. Right, yeah, it's self-mastery, whether it's time or money or what kind of a parent you're going to be or how you're going to craft your marriage. If you can master the self, it is the keys to the kingdom. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And and that that requires taking responsibility right at the gate, right? You got exactly. to do it. So let me just ask you this and then we'll wrap up. We're at the beginning yeah. of the year, 2023. What are you excited about these days, Jonathan? What do you have coming up that, you, that you're excited about and that you're looking forward to? Yeah. So I've, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, I have uh, transitioned a little bit my financial planning practice, you know, the one-on-one -on -one practice. Uh, we merged in with a larger company uh, and they're actually supporting me and helping me build out um, uh, a coaching program that's designed for folks that don't have access to the wealth managers that have million dollar minimums. Um, and, and I'm talking about young folks. I'm talking about uh, you know, people just starting out that don't have the, the the wealth and the resources, just getting them some education and coaching them through some some of the more basic things. You know, like when do you when do you you know check your insurance? When do you um, refinance the house? When do you re rebalance the portfolio? How do you build the portfolio? These kinds of things. And so I've got this workshop that I do on a quarterly basis um, called the Mindful Retirement Workshop, nice. and we've got the we've got a, a a membership program that sort of gives people twice a month access to ask questions and, and have conversations with me. And we do it in a group setting to make it affordable for everybody. And um, I'm really excited for that launch uh, in 2023. I think our first, our first workshop is actually January 10th. It's next Tuesday. I'm oh, so really excited Tuesday. for that. Wow. A week and from today. That's great. A week from today. Absolutely. That's great. And you're going to do that once a quarter. Once a quarter. Yep. And th that sounds fantastic. And um, people can find you at mindful.money, right? To hear more Correct. about your once a quarter workshops. And by the way, I, I have another project for you. Your uh -oh. first book was Mindful Money. Yep. Your second book needs to be Mindful Retirement. That's the third book. Mindful Investing is right now at the publisher. So the oh, third yay. book is Mindful Retirement. Yes. Well done. <laughs> All right. So Mindful Money, Mindful Investing is at the publishers. Congratulations. Yep. When will that be out? Uh, hopefully late this year. Yeah, I mean, okay. it's it's at the publisher and they're doing the edits eh, mid, mid to late this year. Uh, you know, fingers fantastic. crossed. All right. Then your next, your third book needs to be Mindful Retirement. You can just take this workshop and package it into a book and it'll be wonderful for people. <laughs> Absolutely right. I, that got is you, the plan. I got your back, buddy, in case you needed one more thing to do. <laughs> you need to be my coach. This is exactly right. Yes, I'm yes, doing. absolutely. Jonathan, it's been great, great having you again, where you can find Jonathan DeVoe is at mindful.money, mindful.money, Jonathan DeVoe. Look him up, work with him, take his workshops, get his advice. This is a man who understands the importance of understanding yourself, being mindful, taking responsibility, and creating the financial future that you deserve. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you, Jackie.